Hey, so glad you're joining us today. And uh, if this is your first time hanging out online with us, we're glad that you're decided to tune in. I'm Dan, and I have to be one of the pastors here. Uh, we're in a really, really important conversation here at Grace Church. Uh, we've been having it for the last three weeks. This is our fourth week in a very important conversation. We are talking about the thing that Jesus talked about more than anything else. Um, here's what I know. Just think about it this way. You can tell what's really important to somebody by what they talk about, right? You can tell that. Uh, my secretary's name is Shirley, and uh, she loves her dog. Her dog's name is Tucker. And so sometimes she'll get in my office, we'll be talking, meeting, and she'll start talking about Tucker. She'll talk about all the things they do with Tucker. She even has pictures of Tucker, right? Uh, you can tell what's important to her by what she talks about, by, by what she does, the pictures she has. Now, here's what's interesting about us. Uh, what's important to us changes, right? So little by little over the last year, uh, the conversations about Tucker have been replaced with Caleb. She became a grandma, right? And here's what I know. She comes and she talks about Caleb. She tells me what Caleb's doing. She'll drive to go see Caleb, right? She shows me pictures of Caleb. You can tell what's important to somebody by what they talk about, what drives their life, and even what they have pictures of and want to share with you, right? Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven more than anything else. It was important to him. It saturated his message. This message of the kingdom, this, this message of his kingdom, it saturated everything that he did. Here's what he said. It's not a place on a map. Kingdom of heaven is not a place on a map. It's where Christ rules and reigns. And when he came with this message, he came into an upside-down world, and he turned the map right side up. He said, here's the message. That's why it's so disorienting. That's why it's so discombobulating, right? So it saturated his message, but it also drove his life. Pastor Jonathan, if you didn't get to tune in last week, he shared that with us, that it's this message of the kingdom that drove his life. It's what drove him into the marginalized, the victimized, those paralyzed by fear, because the one with absolute authority had unbelievable compassion, and he came, right, so that he might be able to offer the help that was most needed. Namely, forgiveness of sin, right? And so that's the, that's the message that drove his life. Now, here's what's sobering, okay? We need to stop for a minute. Here's what's sobering. We can learn about the kingdom of heaven. We can talk about the kingdom of heaven. We can even be able to explain it, be fascinated by the kingdom of heaven. Ready? Listen. And miss the power of it. Uh, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 4 Verse 20 says something's interesting. He says, for the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of talk. It's not just talk about it. Don't just preach on it. But it's a matter of power. He's saying you can, you can possibly explain the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God and never experience the power of it. Think about that. You can explain it and possibly never experience the power of it. That's why in Matthew 13, there is something that is so important for us to see. So if you have a Bible, open it to Matthew 13. Lay that in front of you. Get a piece of paper. There's some things that are worth writing down or take it on your phone, however you're going to take some notes. Because Matthew 13, here's what Jesus is doing. He not only talks about what's important to him, it drives his life. Matthew 13, he breaks out the picture album. 
he tells eight parables. A parable is just a word picture. That's what it is. And he says, I so want you to understand the power of the kingdom of heaven that I'm going to show you these eight pictures. Now, we're not going to look at all eight. <laughs> you can rest, right? But, but he says, here's some pictures of what the kingdom of heaven is like. And when you begin to understand that, you begin to understand the power of it. And he starts by simply answering this question. How in the world does the power of his kingdom begin? If it's the rule and reign of Christ's mother, how does it begin? Now, now, here's what I want you to remember. He's talking to people. Jesus is talking to people who are waiting for his kingdom. They're looking for this kingdom. They can't wait for it to begin, right? They're under Roman rule. And so they, they want to usher in the kingdom. And, and so they're thinking to themselves, let's usher this thing in. Shock and all, right? I know how I would bring in the kingdom if I was bringing in the kingdom. Trumpets and army and fanfare and takeover. And so they're, they're waiting for him to usher in the kingdom. And so Jesus has their attention. And here's what it says in Matthew 13. Same day, he goes out of the house and he sat by the lake. Now get the picture. Large crowd gathered around him. It was so large he had to get in a boat right? Like overflow seating, right? And while all the people stood on the shore, so he has this crowd there on the edge of their seat. He's getting ready to announce, how does this kingdom begin? What is this kingdom about? It's like the pregame speech, so to speak. He told them many things in parables, word pictures. This is what he said. Farmer went out to sow seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. Birds came, ate it up. Some fell in rocky places, didn't have much soil. Sprang up quick, soil was shallow. Sun came up, plants were scorched, withered, no root. Verse 7, other seed fell on the thorns, grew up, and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop. 100, 60, 30 times what was sown. Then he said this, whoever has ears, let them hear. End of sermon. <laughs> Let that sink in for a second. Can you imagine Easter Sunday? We got standing room only, right? Overflow seating. Can you just imagine this? Crowd is so big. Can you imagine me standing up? Guy rolls into Norton, goes to McDonald's, orders a Big Mac. Not so much. Goes to Wendy's, gets a Frosty. Didn't like that so much. Drives over to Arby's, got some French fries. I don't know. Eventually ended up a Subway, got a foot long, loved it. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. End of sermon. Can you imagine? You'd be like, what? Like, I got to think the disciples were looking at each other like, huh? Like, that's the best we got? Like, like I got to think they're thinking, Jesus, if we're going to usher in this kingdom, we might want to clean up our messaging. <laughs> we, we, we might want some imagery that is more riveting, that evokes this, this idea of power, right? You got to think they're thinking that. And yet, what in the world is Jesus telling us about how the power of his kingdom begins? And it's so important because I think there's misunderstanding about this. Look what it says. He begins to explain it in verse 18, Matthew 13. He says, listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom, what's he saying? He's saying, first, the story I just told, the seed is the message of the kingdom. The seed the book of Luke says, when he tells the story, is the word of God. 
that, that this literally is the seed. Jesus says the kingdom doesn't, listen, begin like a bomb or a bulldozer, but it begins like a seed that's scattered. Here's what he's saying. He's saying it begins with the seed message of his word. This is the message of the king, the creator king, who created everything right side up. Didn't take long for man to make it upside down. But that creator king, the story of him is that he continued to pursue. Clear till we see the creator king coming, but he didn't come as a flamboyant leader on a white stallion. He came, was born in a manger. He came in the form of a servant, ended up dying on the cross, and that was his triumphal moment, right? He says, it is finished, it's accomplished. Why? Because he came to rescue and to redeem, right? They buried him in a borrowed tomb, he rose again. That's the message of this king. He's alive, and now he advances his message through everybody who says yes to him as Savior, Lord, and King. And the message of the Creator King is he's coming back. Here's what he's saying. He's saying the message, the seed message is scattered. This is the seed. But here's the deal. But it lands on different soil. That's the point of the story. And the soil represents the hearts of the people who are listening. Look at what he says. He simply says this. He says, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, evil one comes snatches away what was sown in their heart. Why? Because it was sown along the path, the hard part of the soil. It represents a hard soil. It represents a hard heart. As people who hear the message, cynical, skeptical, just going to reject it. I, I can't buy that. He says the evil one just comes and snatches it. He says it's not the only kind of soil. He said some seed falls on rocky ground, right? So there's shallow soil on the rock, and it refers to somebody who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. That sounds good. But since they have no root, they only last for a short time. When trouble, persecution comes, when things get rough, because of the word, because of the seed, they quickly fall away. This rocky is a shallow heart, right? That's somebody who has an impulsive, emotional response to what God says. But at the end of the day, what they're really looking for is for Christianity to resource their kingdom. It's interesting, right? Uh, he says there's another soil. He says the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but there's a lot of clutter. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, making it unfruitful. This is the preoccupied heart, right? This is the thorny, cluttered heart crowded heart, right? He's simply saying this, that when my heart is so crowded, this is the person who just wants to, I just want to add Jesus to my already busy life. And eventually this seed gets choked out. There's a whole bunch of other things in the way. But the seed falling on good soil, here's where the kingdom, the power of the kingdom begins, refers to someone who hears the word, understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160, 30 times what was sown. This is how the kingdom starts. Write it down this way. Just write it down this way. It says, the power of the kingdom begins when the seed of his message takes root in my heart and changes me. That, that, that's when it begins. When it takes root 
That's the story in my heart, and it changes me. The kingdom of heaven, the rule of Jesus, begins like a seed that takes root in a person's heart, in my heart. And the impact of the seed depends on the condition of my soil. Here's what Jesus is saying, okay, and then I want to help you understand some of this. He's saying there's more power in a little seed, the seed of his word, that is planted in good soil and allowed to grow than in a bulldozer or a bomb. His message is meant to go deep in a life-transforming way. Begs the question. This is where we've got to lean in. Because some of you have heard this story. Begs the question. How does the seed of his message take root in my life in a way that produces change? This is where the rubber meets the road. Okay? How does that happen? There's two words I want you to write down. We have no slide for it. Two words. First is this time. It's a seed. I like the way the, uh, the author Luke puts it, he's same story. He says, the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and then by persevering produce a crop. Listen, here's what I want you to remember. Time. It is a seed. And what does a seed need to germinate? Time. We are addicted to speed, and sometimes our addiction to speed in a microwave culture causes us to miss the power of the kingdom. I'm just going to tell you that. It takes time. Can I just be honest with you? I have people come to me all the time because life's a wreck, and what, what they want is they want me to remodel, rearrange, <laughs> right? They want me to reorganize their, their life, their marriage, their family, their situation. What they want me to do, like, Pastor Dan, Pastor, things are a mess. They want me to come in with a bulldozer and like, can you, because we got to rearrange and things aren't looking good. And, and, and I'm going to tell you, all I have to offer is a seed. And that seed takes time. I got people who man, we, we want you to give us something so that next week and the marriage will be just totally revolutionized. And I'm like, Here's a seed that if you'll allow this seed to germinate as a husband, a wife, all of a sudden you invite the king to take over your marriage. You see what I'm saying? Like we're addicted to speed, and if I want somehow the, king, the power of his kingdom to begin in my life, it takes time. But there's a second thing. Ready? Second thing. It takes trust. Oh, wait, wait, it takes trust. Well, how, how do I know I trust? How do I know that I trust? Well, it takes time and it takes trust, and here's how I know I trust. I know that I'm gonna trust the message of the king by how I respond when the Bible says something I don't agree with, like or chafe against. And if you've never read something in the Bible that you chafe against, you've not read much of the Bible. And that's where the rubber meets the road and the power of the kingdom begins to take root in my life. Because here's the deal. If I read the Bible and there's parts I don't like and I'm like, well, I'll just, I'll, I'll just follow the parts I like, well, all of a sudden I've become the king deciding which part of his message matters. And it's no longer taking root. See, 
this is how the power of the kingdom begins. Now, Jesus doesn't stop there. We, we gotta do this, and I wanna, sh so powerful what's in Matthew 13. There's eight stories all pointing to the kingdom of God. The power of his kingdom begins when his message, seed of his message takes root and it changes me, right? But he wants us to see how the power of his kingdom advances. Look a little later in the same chapter, verse 24. He told him another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. So that sounds familiar. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? They're like, I thought you sowed good seed, and all of a sudden there's weeds. Now, now here's what's interesting. I want to show you a picture here. Because the word that they use for weed is this word darnel. That's kind of an English uh, transliteration of it. But, but, but he's not just saying weeds, because sometimes I can go out into our flower bed like, oh, there's the weeds, there's a the flower. Although I'm not very good at that. I have to tell my wife, what am I supposed to pull up, right? You know. But what he's saying is these weeds are a certain kind of weed. They literally would have been called fake wheat because they were weeds that when they were growing, they looked just like wheat until all of a sudden time for harvest and they blossom like, oh, now we can tell the difference. But up until then, you couldn't tell the difference. It's important. He's saying these things are growing and they're like, where did these come from? Here's what the owner said. He said, an enemy did this. Well, they said, do you want us to go pull up the weeds? We'll go pull the weeds up. His response is interesting. We're going to learn about this. He said, no, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may also uproot the wheat. Wow. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I'll tell the harvesters, collect the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned then gather the wheat and burn it into my barn. He said, now's not the time for weeding. That time's coming. And that's not going to be your job. I got some folks going to do that. Right? This is interesting. I, I think here's the point, and, and, and let's, let's make some application. I think the point is he's, he's telling us how does the power of his kingdom advance? How does it advance? And, and I think these next three or four stories he tells are going to show us that. And so when he explains this parable that he just told us, look at how he explains it. Just look at this, and, and there's something powerful here I want you to see. He left the crowd, went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Now this just captured me this morning as I was preparing before I shared this with you. His disciples call it the parable of the weeds. They're stuck on the weeds. He did talk about wheat. <laughs> but all they can think about is the weeds. That's, that's interesting to me because it's easy to focus on weeds. You're going to see in a minute. But he answered them, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. That's Jesus. That's how he refers to himself. We talked about that in the book of Daniel. Jesus, right? He's the one scattering the seed. And notice where he scatters it. He scatters it into the field. What is his field? His field is the world. That's interesting to me. The good seed stands for the people of his kingdom. So Jesus is advancing this metaphor a bit. Now, the good soil in his first story is the good seed he scattered. Just think of it that way. Okay? So now, the, the seed that Jesus is scattering is people who've said yes to Jesus. 
The weeds are the people, the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. I want to say something here. I think what he's saying here is this. The darnel or the fake wheat is not just simply people who aren't followers of Christ. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think what he's saying is that that is ideologies and maybe leaders uh, who are sown by Satan with a look-alike wheat. It comes from a false religion, maybe ideologies that seem loving and, and, and maybe they seem right, but they're not true. And they're growing with the wheat. And then he says this, harvest is the end of the age. It's not now. Today is the day of salvation, not now. And the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. That's coming. Son of man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They'll throw them into the blazing furnace, where they'll be weeping, gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. What's he saying in terms of the advancement of his kingdom? I want you to write it down this way. I think it's so powerful. He's saying this, that the power of his kingdom advances as Jesus scatters his people like wheat in this world to grow beside the weeds. Ready? Write this down. Not to pull up the weeds. <laughs> Several things here. He advances his kingdom first. Let's look at it. Let's break it apart. We'll just leave this up here. Let's just break it apart. He, he advances his kingdom by scattering the people of his kingdom into his world. Not by gathering them into a church building. That's interesting to me. I think that's... The, the, the time we spend gathering is important. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But, but the advancement of his kingdom comes first and foremost as we scatter. In other words... Maybe the most important question isn't, did you go to church? Maybe a better question is, did the church go? Right? Because if you're somebody who has said yes to Jesus, can I just tell you this? Jesus has scattered you where you're at. He has planted you, and your neighborhood becomes the soil that he planted you in. Your work becomes the soil he's planted you. Your marriage has become the soil. Your family, the team, your school, it is the soil that you've been planted in. He advances his kingdom by scattering the people of his kingdom. That's interesting to me. There's something else that we got to get. What's interesting is this. The wheat, listen, grows with the weeds. <laughs> I am not, you, we are not responsible for weeding. Can I get an amen on that other? <laughs> I wish my dad had told me that. Dan, don't worry about weeding. My dad never told me that, right? But Jesus is saying this, our job is not weeding. I'm going to say it again. He says our job is not weeding. We sometimes as Christians can think our job is to weed the world. And it's not. Jesus says, no, I want you to grow beside the weeds. Uh, I've been reading several books and one of them is by a guy named Ed Stetzer. It's called Subversive Kingdom. You want a book recommendation, I would grab it and and read it. He says this, 
in regards to this particular parable. Our job, this is so interesting, is not to take over the world for Jesus. Just let that sink in a minute. <laughs> this idea that Jesus was this revolutionary and we're following him, going to take over the world for Jesus, is a misunderstanding of Jesus. Uh, he goes on to say, I've read the end of the book, King Jesus wins. It's not our job to usher in that victory. Only God can and will usher in his final and completed kingdom. To think any other way is a spiritual problem, he says. When Christians start trying to moralize the unconverted from positions of power so that the nation will be just, uh, so that the nation will be just, they end up hindering the mission rather than advancing it. You hear what he says? They actually hinder the mission when they start trying to pull up weeds. <laughs> they think this tactic will make the world as King Jesus wants it to be, but they've missed the message that this is a spiritual kingdom until Jesus comes and makes it an earthly one. Now listen to what he says. Some people have perceived opinions and politics of King Jesus more than they love the king himself. Yet Jesus never promoted his politics, although he did respond to political questions. His kingdom is much bigger and better than a slogan, sign, or bumper sticker. Jesus seemed to resist political subversion. Political subversion polarizes the kingdom's citizens from the mission of their king. We are people who are passionately in love with the king in his kingdom. What he's saying is our job is not to pull up weeds necessarily. Right? Our job is not simply to rail in our culture against everything we're against and everybody we're not for. Because sometimes in our world, people only hear what we're against and the wheat stops growing because it's so fo focused on pulling up weeds, which it was never intended to do. You see, when we begin focusing on pulling up weeds, and when we begin trying to control by pulling up weeds, we lose the one thing we've been scattered to do. And that's, we lose the power of influence. I'm worried about that that we live at a time when so many people who would say they are people of the king are so focused on weeding, so focused on controlling so that we can weed the world, that what we're going to end up doing is losing the power of influence for the advancement of his kingdom. And that's what the next story is about. Look what he says. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a, a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all seeds, and look here in the, I have one with me right here. I, I have a mustard seed. You see it? You're probably not, right? You see it? Very tiny seed. He says even though it's tiny, yet when it grows, it becomes the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Um, 
we have a picture of a, a mustard tree they grow and you can see they provide shade it's not like it's the biggest tree but it's like one of the biggest garden kind of plants that they would have known he says this small tiny seed turns into that what is he saying here he's developing the idea for us about how the kingdom of heaven and the power of the kingdom advances right now and it's different than we think can I just say this? He's saying that in an upside-down world, we are drawn to the big and spectacular event or moment. And he says kingdom work typically is unseen, it's small, and it's subversive. It leads him to say, right beside that, he says, there's another parable I want to tell you about. Kingdom of heaven's like yeast, right? Woman took, mixed it in. It was like crypto. It was hidden in about 60 pounds of flour until it worked its way through the whole dough. And you know that yeast is what makes the dough rise. What's he saying? I want you to write it down this way. He's saying that the power of his kingdom advances, we'll leave this up a while, by the small, subversive, and sometimes seemingly insignificant influence of his people as they mix in the world. <laughs> Let's break this apart. Let's just leave this here. Let's break it apart. First, he said, it's like this mustard seed or this yeast. I'm struck with the smallness. It's small. And the power of the kingdom sometimes advances in small, seemingly insignificant, subversive ways. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I've been a pastor, uh, kind of lost track how many, but almost 30 years. That's how I say it, right? And um, in those almost 30 years, can I just say, and I'm not being funny by this, but I've received thousands of suggestions of things that that we ought to do to make a difference in the world in our community and, and so great suggestions i'm not saying but can i just say this i bet you that almost 90 percent of the suggestions that i've received as a pastor revolve around let's do something big let's create an event let's make a splash I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those. From time to time, the kingdom advances that way. But what Jesus is saying is the power of his kingdom advances through the influence of his people mixing in, planting themselves down in the world <laughs> in ways that sometimes are unseen, small, apparently insignificant, yet those apparently insignificant ways in which his people plant themselves grow to become something that is bigger than they dreamed. <laughs> what is small and subversive ends up having a huge impact. This is important for us to know. What starts small and seemingly insignificant becomes a tree, or in the case of the yeast, it affects the whole dough. That's the way the kingdom of heaven advances. That's the power of the kingdom. Sometimes we think the power of the kingdom is, let's do a crusade, let's do an event, let's get, and he says, no. I mean, that's fine, I have nothing against that. But he says, if you wanna know the power of the kingdom in the greater Akron area or wherever you're watching this from, the power of the kingdom is as his people, like a small little mustard seed, follow their king. 
and plant themselves, mix themselves with in ways that influence the world for the king. Makes sense, doesn't it? Doesn't it make sense? We follow a king whose life was described well by author Dr. James Allen Francis. This is what he said. Think about this. Jesus was born in an obscure village, child of a peasant woman, grew up in another village, worked in a carpenter shop till 30, Three years, was an itinerant preacher, never owned a home, never wrote a book, never held an office, never had a family, never went to college, never put his foot inside a big city, never traveled 200 miles from the place he was born, never did one of the things that usually accompany greatness, had no credentials but himself. While still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial, nailed to a cross between two thieves, while he was dying, planting himself, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth, his coat. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Nineteen long centuries have come and gone, and today he is a centerpiece of the human race, leader of the column of progress. I am far within the mark when I say, listen to this, that all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that were ever built, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned, put together, have not affected the life of man upon this earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. What's the point? Well, I think there are several things. The point is this. The point is we can get infatuated with big and flashy. In fact, I would dare say some of you watching this are wondering if, if, you, if you make any difference at all for the kingdom because you're not part of something that's big and flashy. Nobody seems to notice. And I want to tell you this, <laughs> that the power of the kingdom advances through the small, subversive, seemingly insignificant influence of his people that are taking the message of the king that are taking the demonstration of the king and mixing it in, planting it in the world. Chances are, none of you out there have ever heard of Iva. Iva Hoover. You've never heard her name. She was about 75. She stood about four foot eleven. She's a chubby little grandma type. She used to every Sunday sit at a little wooden table that was shaped like a half moon. And she would sit with kindergartners. And she would teach them the stories of the Bible. Small. I think she had a corner room in the church. It kind of had a bad smell to it. <laughs> Every Sunday, she showed up. Small, subversive, seemingly insignificant. You've never heard of her. And yet she was planting seed, Sunday after Sunday. And I can tell you that some of that seed landed on one of those kindergartners who fell in love with the stories of the Bible. 
and his name was Dan. You see, I can tell you this, that some of my passion for knowing what God has to say in his word began as she in a small, seemingly insignificant way, just influenced. For some of you, that looks like going to work and deciding to follow the king and love your coworkers, even when they don't love you back. You're like, I don't know, am I making any difference? <laughs> for some of you, that's the way you interact with your neighbors. For, for some of you watching this, you're like, I wanna make a big difference for Jesus. And what he says is, well, that time you spend with your child, telling them about how much God loves them and what he did for them. You see, I think what he's saying here is this, is that we can get infatuated with big and flashy and miss the power of influence. And I think what he's saying is the kingdom of God advances through the influence of his people. Now listen. Through the subversive, small, insignificant, sometimes seemingly insignificant influence of his people, not through the aggressive control of his people. You see, I think that's what he's saying. He's saying that when we plant ourselves, when we plant ourselves, all of a sudden, the deeper we plant ourselves, the more the opportunity is for it to grow up so that others can benefit. What happened to the mustard tree? The birds come and perch. I think that's what he's saying. The power of the kingdom advances that way. It begins as the seed of his message takes root in my heart. It advances as he scatters his people. We grow beside the weeds. We don't pull them up. It advances through the small and subversive influence of his people. And can I show you one more thing? Right? We'll just stop here. There's so much in here. We'll just stop here. Matthew 13, 44. Look what he says. This is interesting. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, circle that in your Bibles. We'll come back to that. In his joy, went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Uh, next week, Pastor Aiden's going to share a message with you, and, and it's going to kind of expound some on this. But, but this is an interesting picture Jesus begins to unwrap for us. Um, I often read this particular story. It's just a verse, right? And I think about, you ever see those guys on the beach with the little metal detectors wearing the clam diggers, you know? <laughs> so I often wonder, like, did they ever find anything? I have never been around one when they hit pay dirt. I want to be around one when they hit Pater. Like, what happens, right? When all of a sudden you find whatever it is you're looking for, this treasure, right? Because there's a reaction. I just recently was with some people who, who found a winning lottery ticket in the trash, like a big lottery. Like, wow, you know, that's, that's some really treasured trash is what I think, right? You see, the picture here is I'm not advocating uh, playing the lottery or I'm just saying that that's interesting to me because this story is Jesus telling us about a man who finds a treasure. That wouldn't have been uncommon. They didn't have banks, so, so people would have buried their treasure in their field. And if somebody would have come and conquered their territory, the next owners might not have known that treasure was in the field. And so this guy finds the treasure in a field that's not his. And here's what it says. With joy... He liquidates everything he has. With joy, he goes and sells everything and buys the field. I'd love to have been there when his wife came home. 
sold sign out in the front lawn. There ain't no cars in the parking lot, right? Where, where'd all the furniture go? Clean the refrigerator. Oh, there's no refrigerator. I sold everything. She's like, sweetheart, you off your rocker? Have you lost your mind? And he's like, no. Well, what happened to it? He said, I bought that field down the road. You mean the field with the wheat and the darn all in it? You know, <clears throat> that field? Yeah, I bought it. Why would you sell everything we have for that field? Because what's in that field is worth more than everything we have put together. You see, it tells me something about the way the power of his kingdom advances and the avenue through which it advances. I would write it down this way. The power of his kingdom advances through people who treasure him more than anything else in this life. It advances through people who recognize the treasure of their king. Here's what you and I both know. What we treasure and value and what we say we treasure and value may or may not be the same thing. But, but, but listen close to what I'm going to say. At the end of the day, what we really value, you ready? Listen, is determined by what we are willing to do to keep or obtain the treasure we value. You ever watch uh, Pawn Stars? I don't know if it's still on or not. But, but I mean, the, the show's kind of a simple idea, right? People go to a garage sale and somebody sells them this artwork. You know, and they, they tell the 15-year-old the kid, oh, this is a Rembrandt. And the kid doesn't know the difference between Rembrandt and Rocky. You know, it's like, I don't know. And he's got this, paid 10 bucks for it, garage sale, takes it home, has this picture. But he shows up on the show Pawn Stars, like, man, I got this picture, I don't know. And the guy behind the desk, he wants treasure, right? But his job is to get his experts to determine whether or not that's a treasure or not. Well, if he takes the picture and finds out, man, this is an original, Rembrandt. You paid $10 for it? That thing is worth thousands upon thousands of dollars. Something interesting begins to happen they begin to dialogue differently when they recognize the value of the painting. The guy who brought the painting in is starting to say, I am trying to determine what I'm willing to give up to lose what I have. The guy on the other side of the desk is saying, I'm trying to determine what I'm willing to give because of the treasure that supposed trinket really is. See, here's what, here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is simply saying this. He's saying that all of us are making an exchange every day. You're making an exchange with your life. Do you know that? And you're deciding, you're deciding what you treasure. And you can tell me what you value based on what you're willing to give up to keep or obtain what you treasure. In the kingdom, he says, now listen, the kingdom advances through the lives of people who recognize there is nothing more valuable than their king to the point where they are willing to liquidate anything and everything because of the treasure that he is. That's where the power advances. Let me ask you a question and then we're done. Have you ever experienced the power of his kingdom? I'm not saying, do you know about it? Can you explain it? Have you heard about it? I'm saying, has it taken root in your life?
over time has it germinated? Do you see it changing you? How do you respond when he says something that you chafe against? See, if you've never experienced the power of his kingdom, you can begin to experience the power of his kingdom by surrendering to the king, saying yes to the king. He's the only one that can save you from your sin. And he's the only one who can lead you in this upside-down world in a right-side-up way. For those of you who would say that you're a follower of Christ, can I ask you a serious question? Are you part of advancing the power of his kingdom? In the soil where he scattered you? Do you find yourself growing or more concerned about weeding? Are you part of advancing the power of his kingdom in small, subversive, insignificant, seemingly insignificant ways that happen as his people scatter to neighborhoods, to schools, into homes? How valuable is your king? Because the power of his kingdom advances through people who recognize that what they have in Jesus is worth more than anything else they could ever have. And so God, I pray that this picture album that Jesus gives us would begin to bring color to the kingdom of heaven in our lives. And God, I pray that even listening, the kingdom of heaven would begin in the lives of some of the people listening. That maybe hard soil would be tenderized, plowed, and become good soil on which it lands. That rocky soil, that shallow soil, become good soil. That your word would take root and grow. And that as a result, as you scatter the people of your kingdom, that we would advance the power of your kingdom, the influence of our king as we plant ourselves in this world. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.